Would you turn your Bible, please, to Galatians chapter 4? Galatians, the fourth chapter. Yeah, our hearts have been really blessed today in just the impact of God's people meeting together. Precious spirit in this service and wonderful singing. It's wonderful to be a Christian. Galatians chapter 4. We begin reading in just a moment with verse 1. May we pray. Our Father, we just praise you today for who you are. And that God manifested himself to us, knocking on the world's door through baby fingers to say, hey world, I love you. Help us to receive that gift of love and to be filled with thy spirit of love today. We pray thou wilt cleanse us from every sin. Encourage thy people today, Father, and lift those who are lost close to the heart of God. And may they see the old ship of Zion and the captain aboard, and may they call out, I'm coming, Lord, I'm coming. We thank you that Jesus is victor. We pray that today someone will open his heart to Christ. May the Holy Spirit do his work. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we when we were children were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because your sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I want to speak this morning on the subject Christmas past and Christmas yet to come. As we think of this marvelous scripture, <clears throat> will you keep in mind that Holy Spirit was inspiring Paul to write to the Galatian Christians to explain to them what it meant that they were freed from the bondage of the law, bondage of sin, and they were liberated into the glorious freedom of Christ. And he describes it with a hint that has been picked up and used all these 2,000 years as God's people meet together at Christmas time. And the theme is so appropriate 
The Holy Spirit gives Paul these words, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son. When the emptiness of world religions was so obvious, when there was such a stirring in the hearts of people, wanting something they didn't even know what they wanted, but they were discontent. There was a sense that something was about to happen. They didn't know exactly what it was. When the Roman government had made the nation of the world, the nations of the world that they had conquered, nations that, have, that had law systems, rather than being ruled by just the uh, thoughts or the uh, ideas of certain local people. There was a world law system, legal system. And there was a time of great road building. It was said of that early Roman Empire that all roads led to Rome. And if you should go to certain areas of the world today in Asia Minor, or in the area of Israel, or Jordan, or Palestine, or Egypt, you would find remains of some of the greatest roads that were ever built. They're still there. Some roads have been built on top of them. Other roads are just still there, and uh, you can see the ruins of them. But they were so constructed now God says when the fullness of the time was, when everything was in readiness, God moved in. We've just come through the week, and yesterday we observed the anniversary, the 50th anniversary of Pearl Harbor. Most of you who are 55 years of age and over will remember where you were on that Sunday morning, December the 7th, Pearl Harbor Day. Robert Donovan wrote an article in the AARP uh, periodical, and he mentions that after the First World War, the people were singing, how you gonna keep them down on the farm after they've seen Paris? And that was sort of been the theme between the First and Second World War. Sometimes those popular songs reflect the philosophy and the thoughts of the people. But after the Second World War, after Pearl Harbor, and after the devastation of those four years of war, the people began to sing, Don't Fence Me In. And that's been the theme of Americans ever since. I don't want any prescribed limits. I don't want any absolutes. I want freedom to do whatever I want to do. There was a book written, The Best Years of Our Lives, released in 1945 at the end of the war. There's a story of Fred Dury, probably fiction, but it was a symbolic philosophy of the change that came during World War II. When he came back from war, after the awful years 
his wife had fallen in love with another man. I mean, and it just devastated him. When he got out of the service, he tried to find a job, and before he'd gone to the service, he was a soda jerk at a drugstore. And the only job he could find was to be a soda jerk at a drugstore. But then the story goes on to tell how in the years just ahead, he found another wife and uh, married her and lived happily ever after. And the economy in America picked up and instead of having to be a soda jerk, he got a wonderful job. You'll have to read the rest of the story to find out the other lessons. But there's some important lessons just from that book that reflect on what's going on in our America today. Following the war, America went into a tailspin. It looked like we were going up. And for all practical purposes, we were going up. You see, America had been an isolationist nation before Pearl Harbor. And there was a strong feeling that we ought to stay out of the war in Germany and in Europe. And there are some who said, well, President Roosevelt knew how important it was for America to join the war. And the only way we could get in the war was to allow an attack because the American people would never aggressively go to war. It was known that if England fell, America would have the war to fight by itself and we would be in a terrible situation. And so even though there were early warnings and evidences and intelligence data that told us the Japanese were preparing an invasion or preparing something, all of that was ignored. And when Sunday morning, December the 7th came and the planes from Japan came and attacked our forces at Pearl Harbor, America entered an entirely different era. Never been the same since. For many things, we can thank God. We can say, thank you, Lord, that you did not allow Hitler to rule the world. We can say, thank you, Lord, that you did not allow Tojo and Hirohito to rule the world. We can say, thank you, Lord, that you allowed us to discover the technology that thrust us into an entirely different age, the computer age, the space age, the atomic age, the hydrogen age. For if Hitler had known this, or Tojo had known this, America would be in ashes today. We'd be still digging out if there were any left of us. But somehow God in his economy and in his faithfulness, because perhaps, and this is my interpretation, not necessarily anybody else's, perhaps he recognized that there was a strong missionary task force from America that had gone around the world telling the glorious gospel, getting the gospel out to China and Japan and Germany and Africa and other nations. God has given America another chance. And he allowed those war, that war to end 
with American victory. And we went into a great technical age, the age of computers, the age of space travel and space walk. And they tell us that before the year 2000, it will be somewhat common for folks like you and me to be able to board a spaceship if we can get the money up and go out into outer space, either just to experiment or maybe to go to one of those stations in space, stay a little while in a hotel and then come back. We're going to see tremendous changes in the years ahead. America will never be the same again. Now, the same theme that the Holy Spirit gave Paul years and years ago when he said, when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, I believe would be appropriate for us to accept today as a theme for us. In the fullness of the time. While this is an age of divorce and illegitimacy and crime and drugs and alcoholism and every other kind of ungodly thing you can think of, this is also a great age of opportunity. There's never been a time in recorded history when God's people had a greater liberty to do what God told us to do, even though it seems that our liberties have been denied. Since World War II, we've been told we can't read the Bible in school, can't pray in school. They don't want us to pray in public. There are certain places you cannot go and ring the doorbells. doors they have security around them and the churches somehow have more difficulty getting in to take census in certain areas and yet <clears throat> we have television we have radio the, the churches have great opportunity to reach out after people and when the war ended in China in Japan and in some of the other nations, there was an open door to get the gospel out. As we heard from the pulpit, Brother Tack, and last Sunday, Brother Gray Allison, telling us Eastern Europe is open, and they're saying, send us missionaries, send us Bibles, send us laymen, send us people, send people that will go and represent Christ in these nations that used to be behind the iron curtain and the bamboo curtain and those curtains are falling and we can go now. And so this is a great age of opportunity to get the gospel out. Now Christmas itself is a wonderful time of the year. Somebody would say, why on earth would there be a band of people out of their minds enough over at Glendale Baptist Church to spend all this week building this huge tree. We had a building crew that came in and they did a tremendous phenomenal job. And then we had others come in and do the finish work and others came and did the decorating and putting the cedar on and, and putting the lights on and all that. 
and building something beautiful and, and we'd say, well, why would they do a thing like that? Well, they did that as a platform from which to tell the greatest story that was ever told. You see, we can do that every year. We can do that every, uh, we can tell the story every day. But at Christmas time, we're entering in to something the gospel presents as the greatest news that ever came in this world. Amen. That God loved the world. Amen. Now I have an idea that some within touch of this radio broadcast and this service here in the auditorium this morning have had questions as to whether God really loves you. You've had hurts. Why, you've had deaths. The death angels invaded your home. You've gone through long periods of, suff of, of either personal illness or the illness of somebody in your family. And you wonder, where is God in all of this? Does he care? Does he know? Does he love? Some of you have had financial difficulties. Some of you have had, ho have had home problems. Somebody in your home just up and left and said, I don't love you anymore. And on and on. Uh, some of you have had children problems where the children were not all that they needed to be and what you wanted them to be and the, the, all kinds of problems. And you've wondered, where is God in all of this? Now, I want to assure you that Christmas reminds us that God cares, that God loves. And in the fullness of the time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. God loves you, whatever your need, whatever your burden, whatever your heartache, whatever your problem, God cares about you. And that's the message of Christmas. And that's the reason at this time of the year, some of God's people will take time from their busy, 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 busy schedules to come and erect a platform like this so that the choir tonight can get up there on that platform and say, hey world, God loves you. Just reminding us of what happened years ago when the angels got on the platform of God's space and announced to some shepherds, fear not for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior, a savior. Christ the Lord, he cares about you. He loves you where you are, whatever needs you have, whatever your sin. There's not one person within the sound of my voice today who can say, I'm not a sinner. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. You sin sick today? Does the memory of your sin bring sorrow? Does the past performance of your life run before your mind today? and make you wish, oh, I wish those things had never occurred. But I want to tell you, there's a land of beginning again. And it was announced that night, that first Christmas night. I do not know that Jesus was born on December 25th. I told our Sunday school class this morning, I read an article recently that indicated they thought Jesus was conceived on December 25th and born on September 29th. 
and they reckoned that by the Feast of the Tabernacles and other feast days of the Jews. I do not know that. We do not meet on December 25th and observe December as Christmas month because we believe that that was the day Jesus was born. It simply gives us an opportunity to talk about the great novel, the great imperative, the great message <clears throat> that God became man and dwelt among men. And when the fullness of the time came, God did it. He sent forth his son. Now, I don't know whether it happened in September or December or October or July, but I'm glad that for hundreds of years, God's people have met together in December and said, well, we don't know the exact date, but we're going to observe it sometime, and we're going to talk about the, the narratives of the incarnation. We're going to talk about how God loved the world enough that he sent his own son so that whatever heartache you have, whatever hurt you have, it's all can be healed in Jesus because God loves you. Now, that's the message of Christmas. God cares about you. When you stand by a casket and the dearest one on earth is taken from you and you wonder, does God know about it? I can tell you God knows and God cares and Christmas promises that and assures us of that. When you stand in a most awful crisis you've ever faced and you do not know what kind of decision to make, you don't know what to do, how to handle it, God knows and he's in complete charge and he can give you spiritual wisdom if you tune into him. That's the message of Christmas. If you're skeptical and you're wondering, I don't know whether heaven is real and hell is real and I don't know about God and I don't know about all these things. I, want to, I have good news for you. God loves you anyhow. God just loves you. He cares about you. He's not mad at you. He loves you. Now you see, you can miss the love of God by rejecting it. But you can't miss the love of God because it isn't given. The source is there. You don't have to accept it. But the source is there. All day long have I held out my hand, the prophet said, representing, symbolizing God. That's how much God cares about you. He loves you. And no matter how much you've messed your life up, and no matter how skeptical you've been, and no matter whether you're an agnostic or an atheist, whatever you are, God loves you. And that's the message of Christmas. When the fullness of the time was come, when everything was in readiness, God sent forth his son. In 1 Peter, there's a passage that says, to you who believe he is precious. He is precious. I want to read that to you. It's in 1 Peter chapter, chapter 2, verse 7. Unto you therefore who believe he is precious, but unto them who are disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same as made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, 
even to them who stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Now, you know what that means? The, Jesus is the cornerstone of, and, and if you will let him, you can build your life on Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. You can do that. And he'll be with you and bless you and, and love you and you will re, be the recipient of his love. And There'll be a give and take relationship between your heart and the heart of God. And you'll be able to sing, the great physician now is near, the sympathizing Jesus. He speaks the drooping heart to cheer. Oh, hear the voice of Jesus. And, and you can visualize the old ship of Zion passing by and someone on board loving you and lifting you out of the restless waves of sin. But if you reject it, if you reject God's love, if you reject the message of Christmas, if you reject the chief cornerstone, then that stone remains. Doesn't affect him. He's not any less real because you've rejected him. What happens is you stumble and you get broken and God has no other alternative but to say, all right, go on, go on. It breaks my heart, but go on. And the end is a terrible Christless grave. Jesus described it as hell, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. God has no remedy for sin, but his blood, the blood of his son, Jesus. And if you will receive Jesus as your savior, you will enjoy Christmas. I'm not talking about the gifts. That's fine. I'm not even talking about the, the ivy and the mistletoe. Not even the Christmas tree. I'm talking about you'll get the message that God loves you. God loves you. One of the greatest of the messages from the Messiah is when Handel got caught up in his vision. He wrote the entire Messiah in about 21 or 22 days. It is said he did not eat. He hardly slept during those days. Someone had given him those wonderful scriptures and he set them all to music. And of course, you know the story of the Hallelujah Chorus. But a lesser known story is that theme when he came to write the love of God. He said, I don't know how to write it. I've written all these wonderful songs. I've written all this. I put all these wonderful scriptures to music. But how am I going to tell about God's love? And someone had given me a little piece of paper with John 1:29 written on it. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He said, that's it. The Lamb of God. Worthy is the Lamb to receive power and riches and wisdom and glory and strength and honor. But why is he worthy? Because the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. The choir is going to sing that tonight. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And I would point you to him today, to Jesus. He is the author and finisher of our faith. And he's the one worthy of your trust. May we pray. If every head bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. Our Father, we just love you and thank you 
but we're ashamed that we don't know how to love you more and better. We pray that the Holy Spirit would take the feeble words this morning and apply them to some heart. May someone who has never been saved come to know Christ. And may every believer be encouraged and rejoice that because of the Lamb of God, because of Christmas, there's hope in a dark world and in the darkness of our despondency. We pray in Jesus' precious name, amen. May we stand, please. Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come to thee. Would you turn your hymn books to that hymn, page 345. Jesus, I come to thee. After you've got the song, Paige, would you look at me just a moment? This is God's invitation. And the, the words of the song say, Out of the bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come to thee. Now some of you in this room have had a recent renaissance in your spiritual life. You've had a renewal. And you're great, grateful. And your life is showing it. But you need to make it public. You need to take a stand for it. You need to come out of the bondage and sorrow and night of the past and say, I'm, I'm a new person. God's changed me. He saved me. And I'm grateful. And I love him. And I'm not ashamed of him. God will bless you as you do that. You need to come and take a stand for him. Some of you have never known that experience. You've never given your heart to Christ. What a blessing it would be to just come and say, I want to give my life to Christ. I may not know how to do it, but I want to. Show me how to do it. We'd like to show you from the Bible how to be saved, how to go on living the wonderful life of Christ. Some of you are members of another church somewhere, and God wants you at this church. Would you come? While we sing and while we pray, let the Holy Spirit give you His direction, and you step out for Christ this morning. God help you to do it right now as we begin to sing.